was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool, day, cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said to the woman, You put here with me. She gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is a reading from God's word. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? God, we come to you this morning with our hearts and our minds full of things full of the events of the day, full of the events of our lives, full of football scores and what time it comes on TV. And we ask that even those things be paused in our hearts and in our minds, that we may be opened up to what it is that you would have us to hear this morning, that the words which you would have for us to enter into our heart can be implanted there, that you would fill us up and send us out. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. We are embarking the next couple of weeks on the first five chapters of Genesis. Genesis 2, we sort of read last week. Today we're in Genesis 3. Next week we'll be in Genesis 4. The week after that we'll be in Genesis 5. Yeah. I like a system. <laughs> These are what we call the origin stories. So Genesis 1 through 8 are the, the origin story, uh, 1 through 11, I'm sorry, are the origin stories of the faith. Somebody somewhere at some time decided to collect all of the stories that had been told about how the earth came into being and how human beings came to be what they were, and they put them at the beginning of the Bible. And origin stories are important. Origin stories are important or else Marvel wouldn't make 300 origin story movies, right? Because we learn something about who Batman is when we find out that Joker killed Batman's parents, right? 
Or we learn about who Spider-Man is. It's important that we know that Spider-Man was a nerdy kid in high school who got bit by a radioactive spider because it informs everything else that happens in his life. That is the end of my superhero knowledge. More origin stories are important because they set out for us the general principle of what is going to come behind us, the framework we should read the rest of the story in. It tells us the ethos of who we are dealing with. It sets out the characters and all of those good things. And so Genesis 1 through 11 sets out to tell us how people came to be who they were, who God is, who people are, and why, in God's name, did the world end up this way? How did we end up this way? And so we have Genesis 1, which is the poem version of the creation story. God made heaven and earth and declared it to be good. And then we have Genesis 2, which is my sort of favorite of the Genesis creation stories, because now we have a God who is literally digging in the dirt, making people out of clay. I love this image of a God who's deep and dirty and in the muck with the humans that is making humans out of God's own hands. We find in this story the creation of Adam and Eve. Adam, who was created to take care of the earth and then realized he needed some help, which is a pretty typical origin story for most men who start projects and then realize they need some help, right? We need help. Adam, who was really human, is what Adam means, needed some help to run the garden, and so God made Eve. And they had a pretty good thing going. They had a relationship with God that was unique. It was special. God created them for relationships. So you have a God who walks through the garden, literally walks through the garden, having conversations with Adam and with Eve about how the day is going. And so one day, the serpent came. Now, the serpent is part of creation. He doesn't come from somewhere outside of creation. God had to have created the serpent as well. The serpent comes up to Eve and says, hey, what about that tree that God put in the middle of the garden, which feels a little bit like God is setting up Adam and Eve for failure, right? We don't like put something in the middle of the garden and then say, don't touch that, which is like the best way in the earth to get people to touch something. Go outside and play. Don't run into the road, which is when you find your kids in the road, right? God puts the tree in the middle of the garden and says, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. And so the serpent, which is part of creation, is really just playing on this desire Adam and Eve have to be equal to God. Or maybe a confusion that Adam and Eve had that they were equal to God because of the nature of their relationship. And Adam and Eve do what most of us do, which is Listen instead to the temptation instead of God. It's, after all, easier to eat from the tree than it is to not eat from the tree. And so Eve passes the fruit to Adam, and they both eat. Now, back in the day, one of my youth group members um, used to give me a hard time because he would follow me around and say things like, you know, Eve ate the apple first which he knew would enrage me. <laughs> because for years, for centuries, for a long time, people used that as an excuse to tell women that they weren't as good as men were. Because, you know, you ate the apple first. 
When the truth was, they were both standing there the whole time. They both talked to the snake equally. Adam was the one that God told not to eat the fruit in the first place. They both ate of the apple. And so when God shows up, they do the most common thing which we all do, which is tell God somebody else did it first. I'm not in trouble because he did it, right? And then Adam says, I'm not in trouble, he did it, which is like every conversation when something magically breaks in your house and you're trying to figure out which child did it. Because none of them magically happened to be in the room when it happened. I don't know, Mom, that soccer ball somehow magically broke the lamp all by itself. But we all do that. We all like to pass the buck. It's not my fault, it's their fault. And so we have the origin story of consequences. They wanted to know, the early people wanted to know why it is that people had to live life this way. Why did man have to toil the garden to grow fruit? Didn't the origin story tell me that God made a garden full of vegetables and fruits and all the things that we could want? Why do we have to work so hard, God? Why do people make bad choices? Why do people listen to the snake in the first place? When they go, when they knew who God was, they knew who God created them to be, why did they listen to the snake? Why does evil exist? Why did God create the snake in the first place? They wanted to know why it was so dangerous to have children when God told them to be fruitful and multiply. They wanted to know why God hadn't abandoned them. They'd done their level best to get God to abandon them, to do the things that they needed to do to get God to give up on this experiment. And I will admit that God tried to give up on the experiment a few times. We do have, after all, the story of the flood. But these ancient peoples wanted to know the answers to these questions. And the truth is that most of us want to know the answers to these questions, too. I've always wondered why God created the snake. Why? What purpose did that serve? And so in search for an answer, what I found is there's basically an argument that's been going on for 2,000 years, which is what we do, between people who are, these are big church words, so there's the, what's called the supralapsarians and the infralapsarians, right? Infra and supra, these are, I always get them backwards, so forgive me, you may have to double check me, but infra and supralapsarian. Now, lapsarian is easy, what part, what is that referring to? Lapse, what happens? We lapsed, when did we do that? Oops, yeah, when we lapse on something, it's the oops, right? <laughs> so the argument is, did God create creation broken already? Were humans already open to temptation? Did humans already have sin in their hearts, and so therefore were susceptible to the snake, and then the fall happened? Or did we break ourselves, right? Did Adam and Eve break the, eat the apple, and therefore we have broken ourselves? And those seem like maybe esoteric philosophical arguments, but it turns out that whatever you think about that completely defines how you view God, right? Because if you believe that God created humans, knowing that we were maybe just a little bit off, then your God may be a God who sticks with you, who is merciful, who is just, and who accepts you just as you are. But if you believe that God 
allowed the fall to happen and allowed us to break ourselves, then you place a lot more emphasis on human responsibility for sin. That God is just and righteous, and that we are responsible for ourselves. There's good evidence for both in the Bible. You can find evidence for both. Did God make us by God's hands, knowing that we would always be needing God? Or did God make us independent and therefore responsible for our actions all the time and everywhere? And I think it's probably a little bit of both. That ultimately what God is telling us is that we are open to hearing the words of temptation. That we are created to listen to the voice of God, but sometimes we get confused about who God's voice actually is or where God's voice is coming from. That we were created to need God. That we were always dependent upon God. From the beginning of creation, God was, after all, the ones who created the fruit in the first place. But we are also responsible for our actions and the way we respond to that. Our actions have consequences. And the words that we say and the things that we do have consequences. And they're not always bad consequences. Consequences are not always bad. Sometimes consequences are good. It's just the result of what we do. But we do have responsibility for those actions. We have responsibility for the words that we say and how we say them. And we have responsibility for those things even when the person that we are using them about is not in the room. Even when the situation that we're talking about is not something about which we have any control, the way that we choose to respond to it and the way that we choose to speak about it has consequences. It affects who we are. And you'll find that if you choose to constantly look for reasons that something is broken, if you constantly choose to look for reasons why somebody is making bad choices or that they always are making bad choices, if you condemn someone completely to a life of no goodness, that all you will ever see in them is no goodness. If you have decided that this person is never going to live up to whatever standard it is you have in your heart, or if you decided that this person is not capable of whatever, or if you've decided these things and you are always looking for those things. You know, they did a study that um, it's proven that if you buy a car, right? You buy a car, and let's say it's a brand new car, it's the very first model of that car you've ever seen in your whole life. As soon as you buy the car, you're gonna see somebody else driving that car. Have you ever noticed that? You notice a lot of cars that look exactly like your car on the road. It's because we're, we're attuned to look for those things. The more we look for something, the more we see it. And so we have responsibility for what we're looking for, what we're looking to. We have responsibility for what we're feeding into our hearts because that is what will grow in our hearts. And so if we choose to live in such a way that we are looking for the bad, or looking for reasons that we are better than somebody else, or looking for reasons why that person's not good enough, or this situation is awful, or there's only this or only that, then that is all you will ever see. But instead, if you choose the God of mercy, who loves us even when we're broken, 
who did not abandon the people who deserved it, even though they tried. Not ever, not once. Not when they were in exile, not when they were dancing around the golden calf, not when they crucified God, not once did God abandon them. And if you choose to follow that path, then you can begin to see the good, even in people that you thought were not worth anything. And maybe they are mostly bad. <laughs> maybe they're like 95% bad, but nobody's all bad. And maybe you'll start to see all the ways that they are actually doing good things or all the possibilities that they might have. Maybe you'll change your hearts about the way that you see the situation or the person. And in the end, you can choose to live a life full of anxiety and fear and worry, or you can choose to live a life dependent on God and aware that you need God and that we all need God. And that, that means you can see the world with mercy and with love. And you can model that attitude for others. Yes, we are responsible for our actions. We are responsible for the consequences of those actions. But we can choose the input. We can choose the way we see the world. We can choose the way we see people. And we can choose how other people see them. It's a choice. Not to blame other people, but to take responsibility for our actions and the way that we have made an impact on the others in our lives. And make a different choice tomorrow. Or the same choice, whichever route you've gone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.